Next up on the Mutual Audio Network, fiction from our future. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. You're listening to The Carlson Chronicles, an audio drama with a twist. This is a Privy Projects production. Try havoc and let slip the dogs of war from Julius Caesar by William Shakespeare. Not only am I the narrator, but I sometimes get to quote the masterworks of antiquity. Yes. However, I like the General Chang rendition from Star Trek VI best. Was Chang's fate to be the Jed Johnson colony site's fate as well? Let's listen and see. Spoiler alert for those who have forgotten from Episode 2, Two Feathers is a Linguist. It's 0545 hours on May 10th. Are we in any great danger? There are more than 6,700 of us. There aren't that many combatants coming our way. We're not overmatched. Kelly, we can do this. It isn't a melting fission reactor. Jack Bilson is in charge of the freehold. We've got technology they simply don't have. I'm heading up slope. I've got my radio and please keep yours on. You be careful, James Alton O'Brien. You hear me? Yes, Mommy. Ian, Lars, and Two Feathers have driven to the lower western crest of the hills surrounding the settlement's Bull Valley Sanctuary. Two Feathers thinks it's far enough away from the craziness about to occur that Ian will be safe. Little does he know. How did you know they would come, Ian? Kiss's people didn't even spot them until late yesterday. Dad left a warning in one of his briefings of the Freehold Council. I remember everything I see, hear, or read. So when I went down to the settlement office in all that wet snow, I told O'Brien, I knew he asked for reinforcements from the Freehold. I guess we'll be okay without them. They were not even supposed to leave until tomorrow. My father used to say that situations like that are a day late and a dollar short. We have no trained troops. Montenon Talalun, Alice. Right now. James O'Brien better thank those foresters. They're likely to save his bacon. What's bacon? Thin sliced pork belly. Oy vey. What? Eti procliatia duraki sorashili na biegna mushiak. That thing they're dragging on the sledge is a mortar. Let me get your binoculars adjusted. That tube-looking thing is a mortar? What's a mortar? It's a long-distance weapon. They're gonna pound the heck out of us, then move in for the kill. Not if I can help it. What do we do? You get on that radio and tell everybody. Lars, get over here. Keep him safe. I've got to get across to the foresters right now. This could get nasty. <sighs> there he goes. Off on a mission yet again. What in the world has him in an uproar? Look for yourself. The sledge has a mortar on it. Lars knew what a mortar was, but this was bad. The half-track was armored, and Lars was shooing Ian towards it and the radio. Hands outstretched, arms wide, and hoping the Comanche wouldn't or couldn't ever use that thing. We're going to take a short sponsor break. We'll be right back. Imagine the world around you is nothing but an illusion. Creatures of legend wage endless wars between shadow and light, but you never see it. Even now, dark forces threaten reality as we know it. 
but most people never know they exist. This is the world I walk in. I am called Byron, and these are my chronicles. The Byron Chronicles, available at ericbosbypresents.com, iTunes, Stitcher, and everywhere else podcasts are available. And now back to our story. Kida, get down. They can see you. That gully is less than 200 yards away. I know. That's why I'm standing. They'll come at us at first. They can't see our steel mesh net guns to the sides. We want them to come up to the galley. I've got to get back to Ian. Is the situation stable here? Jant has it contained. Their whole contingent is in the galley. The wild cards are, where will they set up the martyr they found and will it still work? I'm on the move then. Radio if you need help. Roger. Wilco. In this case, forewarned is forearmed. The defenders were in place. Waiting is never fun. No one hates battles more than a soldier. The exhilaration replaces the fear of what's to come. Possible death and pain are never good. It's the same for attacker and defender. I hate battles. Never ends good. Now back at the ranch. Oops! I meant the freehold. Jack is just realizing the Comanche and Lawtones have a United States Civil War era cannon and they're setting it up to use. Wow, where did they get one of those? We're sitting ducks for that small cannon down there. O'Leary was standing at the doorway with a spyglass that looked like it came off some pirate ship. Looking down slow, he could see the masked Comanche sent against the freehold. What were they thinking? What exactly is he seeing down there? Those people have what looks like three small American Civil War era cannons. They'll have to shoot uphill to get at us. Have the squads that went out on the side doors reported in? Yes, they say they are in position. But what are they going to do with ice ammo? We have glass and lead bullets. Why aren't they using them? Ice melts in the body. Unless it's a head or heart shot, it should incapacitate and not kill. It takes more people to move and care for a wounded man than a dead one. Their numbers are a little over 300. There aren't enough of them to take care of the wounded and keep on fighting. Kisa's intelligence gave us some time. I'm going down there. Who's supposed to do our talking if they want to talk? Traditionally, the scribe. Instead, I'll be talking. Ian's at Jed Johnson's and Rachel isn't going to be in harm's way. Listen here, old man. Just because I'm a woman doesn't mean a thing. It's my job and I'm going to do it. I heard that. Tad Johnson felt old looking at Rachel and Jack in their newly 3D printed body armor. He wore the jumpsuit he always wore. I'd rather do it. Tad Johnson, you're not even dressed for battle. This will be more like a brawl. Larry O'Leary and Jack are commanders enough. Get back in there and close those doors. Tad Johnson looked at her blazing eyes. She was backed by O'Leary and Jack. It was an argument they didn't need right now. That was when the first cannon shot rang out. Elder Johnson turned dejectedly around and went inside, closing the doors with his departure. Team one, we've opened fire. Are you in position? Over. We are waiting. Over. Team one, you have a go. Out. The second cannon blast sounded. 
dirt and rock flew all around the doors. Behind the sandbag barrier erected in front of the main doors, O'Leary fell, spyglass still in hand. Rachel screamed. O'Leary! Jack grabbed O'Leary's arm and began to drag him to cover. The shard of metal sticking out of O'Leary's neck was covered in blood and mud. She watched while the light drained from his eyes and Jack was still getting orders on the radio. Several booms and muffled thumps rang across the valley. Jack, mission accomplished. Over. Binoculars in hand, Jack looked down as 80 Comanche were ensnared in steel netting from Team 2's shot. Then the cannon exploded. The powder had and someone had lit the fuse. People in the net screamed in agony. Unfortunately, the Comanche had been stuffing shards of metal, glass, bits of rock, and what looked like cloth wadding in the cannon when the net had fallen. Jack looked sick. Jack, we've got 70 enemy over here. Team 3 is rounding the rest up. The cannon blowing up seems to have taken the fight out of the rest. They're just standing still and looking around. I think they're giving up? The chief was snared in Team 2's net. The rest are standing in place with their hands in the air. We're gathering their weapons. Over. Team 1, put your squad leaders in charge and get those people to the containment area. Make sure they know what to do. Over. Jack. He's gone. Just gone. And dead. For what? We'll get him below. KGK-3 base. Open the doors. It's over. Jack, there isn't anyone in the comm center. Use your tablet. We're all out here. Over. The three-hold three battle was done. It was time to talk. In five minutes, the Comanche had been contained, but the death of Lawrence O'Leary was keenly felt. Why was it necessary for him to die? Rachel was with his family within minutes, still splattered with O'Leary's blood. Let's head back over to Jed Johnson Colony. O'Leary's dead. This shit ain't fun at all. Border clashes never are. We had time to plan and set defenses this time. We were lucky. Kissa reported nine dead and 35 Comanche killed. This is serious business. Watches must not be perfunctory. I know, but until now, I didn't understand. Kelly, is there more from the Freehold? Not yet. Mom and Elder Johnson have moved the chief to the hospital wing, under guard. He will live. The Comanche were starving. Fighting wasn't high on their people's minds. Chief Falling Deer had other plans. He wanted to make a statement, I guess. Six of the Lawtones rendered themselves with those wicked blades they use as short swords. Who knows why? Ian briefed you from Robeson's writings, didn't he? He did. Why isn't he here? He's up at the cabin on the radio with the Freehold. It seems that the Cornwall Freehold was attacked by some unknown wandering band of people last week. They didn't tell anyone until our announcement of even being attacked. Why ever not? It is beyond my lofty position to question anything. Can the radio skip let Ian talk directly to them? It's powwow time with Cornwall. Don't they have a prince or a king or something there? Why, I believe they do. The descendants of King William are there. I think her name was Kate. She and their children went down that hole. His many times removed grandson is there and was crowned. He's supposedly over 100. 
Wants to keep the court in the freehold when they move out, he does. Ian just called for a medic. Seems Lars banged their head on the stairway ladder going up to the tower. The battles were over. Only O'Leary of the Freeholders died. Jack Bilson was beside him with one of his mentors now lost. Ian was once again on the radio. He was talking with the Phoenix Freehold. They were shocked by O'Leary's death, but not surprised at the attack. Cassie, you didn't have to come yourself. Yes, I did. This settlement is my responsibility, even unto your care and Lars's bruised head. <laughs> How funny. All this fuss for me, it's just a scratch, really. I bleed so easily. Now, let this nice medic do his job. Go talk to your brother. Cassie and Ian headed to the kitchen. Ian looked pale and worried. So serious was his face that Cassie almost cried. Ian, what's wrong? I mean, we survived the clash. With not a person hurt here. What hurts is that it happened at all. The Comanche wouldn't be here to fight with if Rachel Cohan hadn't saved their genome. I know why she did what she did. Sometimes I wonder about the infinite diversity doctrine she established. We revived those people after they were dead and gone. Now they attack? What was done all those years ago was for everybody's benefit. Now it seems like we should have left well enough alone. Not so fast. Diversity is what will allow humans to continue. The variation in DNA is oh so critical. We'd be like the inbreds of old. Without the DNA collection she convinced the Freeholds to do. Genetic diversity is what gives us all a chance to live and live on. The battles were passed as the talking starts. Ian, Lars, and Two Feathers have to return to the Freehold. The Comanche and Laltones need help. The attack was a symptom of far deeper troubles. Ian has to act to save the two tribes before they starve this winter. I wonder what will come of the two tribes. Lars Olafsson, Personal Diary, May 12th, 4062. That was terrifying. I thought I'd have a heart attack when those tiny mortar tubes, our defenders, fired the nets over the Comanche. That attack was the loudest, most confusing day of my life. Who do the Comanche think they are, anyway? All they had to do was ask, and we'd have sheltered them. If they needed food, ask, for pity's sakes. Don't attack us. Rachel and Tad Johnson at the Freehold are talking to the chief. Falling deer can finally talk again. Using that American Civil War cannon, stolen from the ruin of Fort Sill's museum, was flat stupid. Of course it blew up. Oh, yes. I just had to bang my head. You'd have thought I was dying with the fuss everyone made. It only took two stitches. Heavens, I've had bigger paper cuts. Ian's just so intense. He's more like the grandfather. He never met than his own father. Oh, Kyle Robeson was a peach. He could sweet-talk anyone. Why he chose me to be one of his son shepherds, I'll never I study people and cultures from books or the computers. I don't go camping. Well, I guess I can't now. I wondered if we could get regular beds and stuff. Then I could call it glamping. Just like the ancients did 2,000 years ago. That would be much better. Cassie and Kelly overshadow Mayor James O'Brien here at Jed Flats. I hope he's mad enough to contend with them. Don Wilson's here, too. That should give him enough support not to 
to scrape and whine to the she-scribe or the calm god. I know, that was very derogatory and I'm bad. One of them intimidates me. But both, at the same time in my office, would be like sitting on knives. I'd have to watch every word flow from my mouth and be dissected. The best part is, they are just the right persons to start a colony. Yes, it is a colony, not a settlement. Kessa said it best in the radio logs. We are all brothers and sisters from other mothers. If she only knew the whole truth, she'd laugh after the shock wore off. This should be a daily log and not a diary. EOD. This is Lars Olofsson signing off with this infernal AI. You're listening to The Carlson Chronicles, an audio drama with a twist. This is a Privy Projects production. Thank you once again for listening to The Carlson Chronicles. Written by J.A. Babian. The cast in this episode are Charlie Wyrack III as the narrator, Tom Cat as Lars Olofsson, Rachel Pulliam as Keita Forrester, Ellie Hirschman as Don Wilson, Bart Poland as Steve Kirkson, Micah Henderson as Ian Kyleson, Echo Unclesbay as Cassie Robeson, Bruce Jaworski as Elder Johnson and Jack Bilson, James Roberson as James Anthony, Linda Johnson as Kessa Forrester, Tracy Babian as Kelly Kirkson and the announcer, Lisa Sedevy as Rachel Robeson, Ryan Birch as Rory Forrester and Reed Stanford, James Sedevy as Two Feathers, and Bell Thompson as your sound effects coordinator. A special appearance by J.A. Babian as Bobby April and Seth Tilly. Musics by Sven's Neukrons, Tracy Babian, David Feslian, and Dana Jell Zambo. Please don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave us a comment on whatever platform you're listening on. This is Tracy Babian, your announcer, signing off. The wind may be cold, but there's always a place at the table for you here. I'm Jack Ward for the Mutual Audio Network, and we would like to wish you all a happy Thanksgiving.